asking you may be seated. I want to visit with you just a moment. I'm delighted to be in the Florida parishes of Louisiana. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be here with Pastor Cox in this great church and uh, the officials of the Louisiana district, Brother Tenney, Brother Cooley, Brother Simpkins, all of you. We've got other Florida boys here. They come all the way from Florida just to hear their superintendent. Oh, God help my unbelief. <laughs> but it is good to have Brother Cox and Brother Harris, our youth team from the state of Florida, and also Brother Hinkle, the pastor in Orlando, with us in this Bible conference. And we are with you to rejoice, to learn, to draw closer to God, and to try to be more effective in his kingdom, bringing about the revival that we all love and want. I appreciate what I have heard today from the men of God and Sister Tenny, and I was dreading following her, I tell you. I told her last night I was going to get sick today and run somebody else in here behind her. But I heard what I needed to hear. Amen. I heard what I needed to hear. God help us. It is a sure sign of the end time. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, men and given in marriage. That means they were slaves to the appetites of the flesh, nothing more. They thought about something to eat, something to drink, and satisfying the sex drive, and that's about it. I repent because I had the wrong information. It's a light blue Cadillac, 134096. Please help us out. All right. Praise God. I heard a story about uh, an old sheep herder out on the plains of Montana or somewhere, and uh, he was out in the isolated place during the long, long winter months, and all he had for company was his dog, an old battery radio, and a violin or a fiddle. I understand the difference between a fiddle and a violin. A violin has a case. <laughs> but that's all he had. And he would, uh, during those long winter nights, he would tune in on some of these uh, symphony orchestras, and he would get his fiddle down and play with these great philharmonic orchestras. However, in the process of time, his fiddle got out of tune. And when they would bring him supplies periodically, like once a month or whatever, he uh, wrote a letter to the conductor of one of the great symphony orchestras, and he said, Sir, you are busy but would you do an old sheep herder a favor? And he told him his circumstances. I am alone in this camp. I have nothing for company but my radio and the fiddle. I like to play when your orchestra plays, but I have a problem. My fiddle is out of tune. On your next national broadcast, would you sound me a good, strong A so I can tune my fiddle? And sure enough, the conductor got the letter, thought it was very interesting, related the story to the radio audience, and said, Now, 
of the old sheep herder out on the plains of Montana. Here is your aid. And that orchestra gave a crescendo and the old man tuned his fiddle. Well, I come to these conferences sometime like the old sheep herder. Kind of feel like my fiddle's out of tune. And uh, I want somebody to sound me a good, loud, strong A from the Word of God. Hallelujah. And let me tune my fiddle again. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, I'm here to be a blessing if I can. I, I, uh, I don't want to tell you that I've, uh, I'm an authority on it and every one of you knows something I don't know. So you could teach me. However, it falls my lot to teach you today. I'm going to read two verses from the fourth chapter of Revelation. Do you care to stand in honor to the word of the Lord? And uh, look in your Bible, if you will, two verses of Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After this, I looked. And behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. Thank you so much for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. We appreciate so much your good district superintendent and his wife, Brother and Sister Tenney. What a blessing they've been to us over the years in our youth camps and camp meetings and retreats. And, well, in Panama City, where I pastored so long when we completed the new sanctuary, Brother Tenney was our dedicatory speaker. He has been a source of inspiration to me for many, many years, ever since I have made his acquaintance. I deeply appreciate the leadership that Brother and Sister Tenney give this great district. And I can assure you they're held in the highest regard and esteem all across our fellowship. When Brother Tenney speaks on the general board, it's like that fellow E.F. Hutton. When he talks, everybody listens. <laughs> My subject this afternoon is the first two words of chapter 4, verse 1 simply after this. And uh, I kind of feel a Yale sermon coming on here. I'll have to explain that one to you. man spoke at the graduation of Yale University, and he spoke an hour on the Y, another hour on the A, and a third hour on the L, and a fourth hour on the E. But then his audience was petrified. At the end of it, he asked the president of Yale University, he said, was my address appropriate? The president said, yes, but don't you think it was a little lengthy? Well, he said, I don't know. It wasn't as long as when I spoke at the graduation of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> so now you know what I mean by Yale sermon. Now travels, Sister Crabtree and I, and we almost live in the car, we're constantly asked, where do you go from here? Where do you go after this? I don't know whether that intrigues you or not, but it does me. 
I want to know where I go from here. Praise God. And I believe I know. I know whether your mind is made up. I'm going to try to help you if I can. That uh, we'll know what happens after this. Let's back up, if you will, to the very first of this book. And uh, I'll read from uh, various portions of the first three chapters. And then back to chapter 4 once again. The Apostle John, the author of this great book that intrigues us all, was a member of the original 12 apostles. And uh, I understand they could not shut him up, so they banished him to the Isle of Patmos, a little rocky isle in the Aegean Sea. And there, instead of getting rid of him, we probably got the final volley from the pen of this great man of God. For in verse 9 of chapter 1, he refers to himself, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's a good thing to do on the Lord's day. Too many of we Pentecostals wallow in pity and self-sympathy. We don't have anything to be feeling sorry about. Praise God. I believe this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You say amen to that. Praise God. So the Lord gave him a vision. And I'm just going to relate here. You can follow along there in your Bible. For the sake of time, the Bible said he heard a voice as of a trumpet or like a trumpet, and he turned and he saw seven golden candlesticks. I don't know what your first conception of Pentecost might have been. Some of you were fortunate enough to have been reared in a Pentecostal home. I was not. And when they said Pentecost, I thought they were saying penny. P-E-N-N-Y. And after I became a preacher and was on the receiving end of some of the offerings, I'm still not sure of what the... <laughs> the Bible said John turned and he saw seven golden candlesticks, which I believe to symbolize the church and the various ages of the church from the day of Pentecost until the rapture. And uh, then as he continued to look, he saw something more. I want to say I hope they will see more than, than our buildings and more than, than our choirs and more than our musicians and singers. The Bible said as he continued to look, he saw in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks one like the Son of Man. I trust the world can see the Lord in our midst. That is my desire. I long ago lost any great ambition or aspiration of greatness. That will never be. But I would like to be a Christian, child of God. And as my brother said this morning in his ministry, I want to be saved. Praise God. I have two purposes in my life. Number one, I want to be saved. 
And number two, I would like to take as many along as I can. It's as simple as that. Praise God. Then the scripture says in these next two chapters, two and three, that uh, the apostle John addressed his writings to the seven churches or church ages, if you will, periods of time in the church age. These were words are written to the church. I will never forget the day that it dawned on me that everything in the Bible was not written to everybody. Well, I thought that would be well received, but let me try it again. God told Saul to go and slay the Amalekites, but they'll lock me up if I tried. He didn't tell me to do that. There is a portion of this Bible that is children's bread. It is the portion of the Word of God from the book of Romans through Revelation. That's children's bread. And some of these fellows think they have license to skip about in the epistles and pluck portions out and toss them out in generalities, just sweeping generalization to everybody, but not written to everybody. I remember an old country song the Bales brothers recorded, read Romans 10 and 9. So I did. I turned on a rat. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That was never written to sinners. I want to say that again. That was never written to sinners. That was written to the church, to believers born again of the water and spirit. It is no substitute for the plan of salvation. If, the, if believing alone will save then the devil is saved, and of course you know that's true. It's easily proven the devil believes also. But that's not the case because he is not obedient to the word of God. So every part of this Bible was not written to everybody. There is a portion that is children's bread. It is written to the church. Praise God. I write a letter home to the family. I write a little differently than I do to the banker. I wouldn't say the same thing to him. I'd say to my wife. And there is a portion of this Bible that is directed to the church. That's, that's it plainly put, isn't it? Praise God. So, these uh, words in Revelation were never intended to be thrown out to the world, to the unsaved, to... Uh, sinners, if you will, that uh, do not live for God. It's children's bread. And these next two chapters in Revelation deal with the church on earth, the seven periods. And I would not take the time to go verse by verse and church age by church age and period of time by period of time, but to tell you that you can easily prove this. Seven times in these next two chapters, the Lord says, I know thy works. Let me stay with that just a moment. I pastored 39 years, totally four years in Red Wing, Minnesota, and 35 years in Panama City, Florida. 
So it's just like the ruts in a road. It's so easy for me driving along, slide off in the pastoral rut. So easy because, you know, after all these years. I've heard folks say, Brother Crabtree, I mowed the lawn and nobody noticed. I swept the floor and I never got any credit. I, I prayed and nobody paid any mind. I, I gave, I, I sacrificed. I knocked on doors. I brought folks to church. I brought people to my car. Nobody ever gave me any credit. Well, bless your heart, if nobody else ever gave you any credit, rest assured that God saw it all, and he said, I know thy works. Several years ago, the late brother Manley, who pastored in Ocala, and he was an individualist, one of a kind. His small church in Ocala was up for national recognition in the sheets for Christ. About the time Brother Tenney was youth president, general youth president. That was back B.C., you know. <laughs> Brother Tenney was in line for a national award. You want equal time after a while, I know. So don't. He won uh, a national award. And he went to the general conference, and thank you. And they had him laid out the award somewhere down in a room, and Brother Manley wanted to see his award. So he went down and he looked through every one of them, and no Ocala, no Clyde Manley. So he went to Brother Connell, the superintendent, and he said, They forgot me. No, he said, I'm sure they didn't, Brother Manley. He said, They forgot me. I'm telling you, it's not down there. Well, he said, that, But, but they, they're, maybe they're just finishing it up. It'll be... No, he said, they forgot me. So finally, in desperation, Brother Connell said, well, Brother Manley, did you do it for the Lord or for the award? He said, for the award, and I want it. <laughs> you know, he thought he'd say, well, we did it for the Lord. He said, I did it for that plaque, and I want it. Well, a lot of us do it for the plaque. If we're not patted on the head... Said you did a good job. You know, we sulk and pout. But I don't know about you. I have taken great comfort in the fact that if nobody else knows, God knows. I know thy works. I know thy works. And then I want to share this with you. Seven times, and you can pick them out. I've got them underlined in my Bible. Seven times the Bible said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Seven times... In two chapters. Now, when God repeats something, it's for emphasis, for clarity, so that there's no mistake. You don't read this again after chapter 3. And the reason is obvious. We are not here. We are like, we are like the Cajun over here in Louisiana. We're not here no more. We're 20 miles from here. Praise God. But while we are here... If there is a need among us, it is for spiritual sensitivity. I believe is the greatest need of our day and hour. The Bible said in the days of Elisha, there was a widow at uh, Shunem, which means double resting place. The Bible said she was a great woman. And that intrigued me, and I read everything I could get a hold of. One commentator said she was called a great woman because she was big. I don't buy that. I don't believe physical size has anything to do with your status in the kingdom of God. 
I believe you could be a giant in the world and a pygmy in the sight of God. And by the same token, the opposite is true. You could be physically a dwarf, a midget, and be a giant in the sight of God. Just like you could be poor in this world but rich in the things of God. And you could be a multimillionaire in the world and a pauper in the sight of God. I'm not buying the fact that she was a large woman physically. Another commentator said she had great possession. That's all so ridiculous. I believe that as the story unfolds, it tells you why she was great. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive. That's it. She had spiritual perception. I perceive that this, this prophet that passes by us is not just another man, just another preacher, just another wandering itinerant evangelist. This is an holy man of God. And if we Pentecostals need anything this afternoon, we need spiritual perception. Hear what the Spirit would say. Elder or Bishop G.T. Haywood was talking about this one time years ago, and somebody thought they would confound that old uh, man of God. They said, well, Bishop Haywood, how deep is a man's ears? But they had him stumped. He said, the bottom of a man's ears is his heart. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. It goes in the ear, and it deposits in the heart. Praise God. We need to hear we're not talking here about these appendages anyway. We're not talking about the, the physical ear. We're talking about the spiritual ear. He that hath ears. That, that would be superfluous if he's talking about the natural ear. We've all got two ears. It's talking about spiritual hearing. Hearing what the Spirit said in this noisy, confused world. I believe there is a dire need among us to hear what the Spirit would say. When I first came into Pentecost about a hundred years ago, and the fellowship meetings in Indiana would be lying, Pope would be lying with preachers. And they would literally go down the line, nudging each other, have you got the message? And we don't have to do that now. We all got it. But they literally did that. And I guarantee there's some old timers around here that remembers that. They would nudge one another. Do you have the message? And brother, if you get up and you begin to bomb out, and those old elders begin to say, help him, Lord, you better find a seat somewhere. Because they're fixing to pull your coattail. You didn't have it, and they knew you didn't have it because they were spiritually sensitive. There wasn't any such thing as, well, I'll get up there and run away with the wagon. They'd, they'd, they'd stop it. But we need spiritual sensitivity. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. So these two chapters, chapter 2 and 3, deal with the church ages, and you come on down to uh, number 7, the Laodicean age that you and I are a part of. I believe we'll end at the rapture, and it tells the same thing. I know thy works, and there are the commendations for what we have done and the rebukes for our failures that we all need to hear. I'm going to spare you that. And then again, at the end of chapter 3, here is this admonition again. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, because the church is here. Now then, when you pick up chapter 4, after dealing with all of the church age, from the day of Pentecost until the rapture, it says after this. After what? 
after the seven church ages, after the church age, after the day of grace. Praise God. John, who was a part of the New Testament church, said, Behold, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. Not on earth, in heaven. And uh, the first voice which I heard was of a trumpet. That certainly rings a bell. The first chapter, or the first book of Thessalonians, chapter 4, one of our happy hunting grounds, verse uh, 12 down through 16, says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. John said, The first voice I heard was like a trumpet talking with me. This gets to be individual. I believe that God predestined the church collectively, that God foreordained the church collectively, but not individually. It's up to me whether I'm in it. Pastor Cox could say, we're going to bring the church van and we're going to New Orleans at a certain time. The trip's predestined. The van will be there. Whether you get on it or not, it's up to you. Isn't that right? So God has predestined the church collectively but not me individually. That's up to me. But John said, I heard a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And immediately he said, I was in the spirit. And then he goes on to describe a throne set in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven, and one set on the throne. I was preaching for Brother Wayne Rooks in Miami some few Sundays ago, well, it's been several months ago now, and he gave me the usual bit of advice on Sunday morning. Now, he said, Doc, preach as long as you want to. We go home at 12. <coughs> I said, well, I guarantee you one thing. I'm going when you go. I'm not going to preach to empty pews, and I did go. And I want to say that to the church. When the church goes, I'm going. Let me, let me make it clear, if I may. Where the church goes, John goes. Or where John goes, the church goes. Where the church goes, you and I go. Right? Praise God. I believe that I, believe that I am in this Revelation 4.1. I believe that, that we who are born again of water and spirit and living for the Lord and awaiting his return, or a part of Revelation 4.1 after this. Now, I want you to see, here's what, here's what I'm concerned about. I know we have folks that are talking about we're going through tribulation and the wrath of God and so forth and so on. And I used to laugh and say, well, brother, go as far as through as you want to. I'm going out before. It isn't funny anymore. Not funny anymore. And the reason being, we are preaching Jesus could come right now. Am I right? How many of you believe Jesus could come right now? The rapture could take place before this service is over. I believe that. Okay? You can't preach that, and the church is going through the wrath of God too. You can't preach both. If the church is going through the wrath of God, then Jesus can't come today. How about that? That's like eternal sonship. 
The term is contradictory. If he is eternal, he is not a son. A son, obviously, was begotten, conceived, and born. Thus, he had a beginning. So he's not eternal. And if he's eternal, he's not a son. Now, I realize that sonship in God's plan is eternal in his plan, in his blueprint. The Bible said, where there's a lamb slain in the foundation of the world. But Calvary didn't happen back there at the foundation. It happened on Calvary, as you know, in the Gospels. But in the plan and purpose of God, of course, it was foreordained. Hallelujah. So, the, uh, the church, either Jesus can come today or he cannot. And here's what I'm trying to settle in your mind if I can. That there is nothing, and I heard Pastor Cox say this, so I felt the liberty to teach this. He said the next thing on God's agenda, he said this yesterday, the next thing on God's agenda is the rapture of the church catching away the bride. I deeply believe that. I deeply believe that. I am not going to take the mark of the beast nor be here when the Antichrist sets up his reign nor any of those things. Praise God, because the book said, after this, after the seven church ages, after this, John said, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. I heard a voice like a trumpet talking with me. I heard it. said, come up hither. And he said, immediately I was in the spirit. And then he begins to talk about heavenly things. Praise God. Well, I sense a little skepticism. Hang on a moment. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. Right? So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Hang on. He said, uh, in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. If you'll read the story of Noah, you'll read that Noah and his family went into the ark before. Now, if you're going to take the eating and the drinking, you're going to take the going in the ark before also. This is not Morrison's cafeteria. You don't get the privilege to pick and choose and shop, and I like this and don't like that. John had to eat the whole book. We take it or leave it. As I said yesterday, we save all or lose all. We're talking about all. And Jesus said, as it was, so shall it be. We've all preached about Noah and the ark, type of the church, and uh, that Noah and his family went into the ark before the flood. That's not enough. In the 17th of Luke, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, the day that Lot went out of Sodom and God rained fire and brimstone. That's two. The Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word should be established. At the prophecy conference some few uh, years ago, one poor fellow taught that the church was going all the way through the wrath of God, through the judgments and so on, and raptured on the other side. And I knew the poor guy was in trouble. And he sat down in the hot seat, as we termed it, to... Feel the questions that were sure to come. Sure enough, somebody came down the aisle and said, Brother, I've got a question. And I understand you correctly to say that the church was going all the way through the wrath of God. He said, yes. He said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
and he read it, read it uh, for him. Only he who led others will lead until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. My question is, what is taken out of the way? And the old fellow swallowed, and he said, <clears throat> that's the Holy Ghost. He said, are you telling me that God's going to take the Holy Ghost back and leave us here? And the fellow said, yes, I'm talking about in our ranks now. I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about within our fellowship. He said, yes. Well, that, that dog won't hunt. <laughs> Jesus said, oh, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. He said, I'm going to give you another comforter. He may abide with you forever. That won't fly. No, sir. Where the Holy Ghost goes, we go. Because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. We are going. I'm going where John goes. I'm going where the early church goes. And that is after these seven church ages, the Lord will come, the rapture will take place, and we'll be caught out of here. Now, if that's not enough, Matthew 24, Luke chapter 17, let me give you Genesis 41. All of us have preached about Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, type of the Lord, despised by his brethren, sold as a slave, thought to be dead, really alive, reigning in a far country, all beautiful types of the Lord Jesus, right? Amen. Amen? Amen. In the 41st chapter of Genesis, he takes a Gentile bride before the 14 years. Hallelujah. Before the seven years of plenty, before the seven years of famine, he marries a Gentile bride, an Egyptian woman. What's that mean to me? It means that my Lord will take out of the Gentiles a people for his name before. Let me give you, let me give you a little more icing on the cake, if I may. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it said, The Lord hath not appointed us to wrath. Is that right? In Revelation 6, it says the great day of his wrath is come, not is coming, but is come, present tense, who shall be able to stand? If God has not appointed his church to wrath, it doesn't make sense that we'll be here in the day of wrath. Praise God. Now here's why I say it's not, it's not funny anymore that I tell one of my brethren, you go as far through tribulation, the wrath of God you want to go, but I'm going out ahead. I'll show you why it's even funny anymore. I got a little brochure from, uh, well, let me just say, somewhere north of Mason-Dixon line. And uh, I sent it back to the superintendent of the district with a few comments of my own. This is dangerous. And it openly advocated that uh, the rapture could not take place now. We had to first go through the vials and the trumpets and the seals and take the mark and, you know, worship the beast and all that. Well, immediately... I said, you know, we've been preaching and hammering away. Jesus could come right now and look at how people live. What would they do, Brother Johnson, if we told them he can't come for seven years? What would they do? What would we do 
if we knew we had seven years to frolic around. That's why it's dangerous. Now, in the story of Moses in, in the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible said Moses, the servant of the Lord, died, and uh, the Lord buried him and hid his sepulcher, his grave. That intrigued me why this old man of God didn't get a funeral and a monument and a tombstone anyway, and everybody passed by and see him. I think the main reason is God hid the man, but not the message. But uh, also, there are some things that God has reserved for himself alone. Nobody knows. The Bible says plainly, nobody knows where Moses is buried. Now, why would the Bible make a point of that? Because there is something, some knowledge that God has reserved for himself. And one of them is the day, the time of his return. I don't know when it'll be. I don't believe anybody else knows. Nobody knows. The Bible says that. Nobody knows. But we are admonished to be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not. I'm not about to stand up here and tell you you've got seven or 14 years before the rapture. I don't know how long it'll be. But I do believe with all my heart that he's coming at the close of the church age, and it may be today. It may be today. It could be today. And that's why we need to keep our hearts ready and right and our spirits right. Walking with God, I believe there is more required than repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I deeply believe that. But the Bible said unto them to look for him. That's a fourth requirement. We've got to be looking for him. Praise God. For we shall see him as he is. Hallelujah. Praise God. I do not believe that the church is going to go through the wrath of God. Let me give you a silly little example. You take a young man and a young lady, and my elder brother Welsh in Pensacola said, young people falling in love is just like a goose going barefooted. It's natural. That's his philosophy. So a young couple falls in love. They've do been doing it since the Garden of Eden. And uh, Johnny's got to go away to war or to the army, and Mary says, I'll wait for you, and he promised to be faithful to her, and she promised to be faithful to him, and then Johnny goes off to war. Now, while he's gone, since she's a beautiful young lady, every guy in the territory wants to go with her. She said, no, my heart belongs to Johnny. I promised him I'd wait for him, I'd be faithful to him, and I am. And finally, after... X number of months or years, Johnny comes marching home. And he says, Mary, I know you've been faithful. I've checked, and you've been faithful. You've kept your word. You've been loyal, and so on. But just to be sure, just before we get married, I'm going to slap you around a little bit. Take that and that. It'll make a bit of sense. I say, don't make a bit of sense. And here, for this church age, we have been a spouse to one husband. We've been singing, Jesus is the fairest of 10,000. He's the lover of my soul. Praise God. And then just before he takes us out of here, he's going to slap us around a little bit. You buy that if you want to. 
I don't buy that. The book said after this. I looked and the door was open in heaven. I heard a voice like a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. Praise God. I want to say this. I don't believe anything else has to happen. Not anything has to happen before Jesus can come and the church be caught away. Praise God. Now, let me nail this down hard and fast, if I may. If, for example, God forbid, the church should go through the wrath of God as far as Revelation 13, where the mark of the beast is given. And by the way, let me emphasize this. John wrote and said he caused all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. That's in there to emphasize everybody will take the mark. Jesus said in John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name. You receive me not. Another shall come in his own name, and him you will receive. It's a matter of choice now. You can take it or leave it. You can live for God and walk out the door. But I want you to hear this old preacher tell you this afternoon, if you're here, God forbid that you are. But if you are here, you will receive. You will accept him. Jesus said you would. John said you would. I'm telling you, you will. The Bible said you would. Now, we settled that. Everybody will take the mark that is living. You either take the mark or are killed. Right? Okay? If all living have taken the mark, and Jesus said in John 5, 43, you would, and Revelation 13 says you will, then Revelation 14 says all who take it are damned. All right? How many know that's true? If you do take the mark, you, it goes on to describe the smoke of their torment, ascendeth up, and so on and so on. My question is, if all the living up to Revelation 13, 14 have taken the mark, who would be alive and remain? First Thessalonians 4 said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There wouldn't be anybody alive and remain because every living soul has taken the mark. What is the answer? We go out of here before that. Just as Noah and his family went in the ark, just as Lot went out of Sodom, just as Joseph married a Gentile bride before, the church is going out. Because the Bible said, after this, these seven church ages, praise God. Praise God. That's why I believe we need to be on our spiritual toes to be ready for the Lord could come today. Could come today. Praise God. I believe we ought to live like he is coming today and work like he's not coming for another thousand years. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I'm so glad I understand this. I, maybe you're doing like the geese, the fella fed. You're not eating much of it, but doing a lot of talking about it. That's all right. But uh, I, I believe this fits perfectly 
in the beautiful plan of God. Hallelujah. Look, come to the piano and the organ. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little story in closing here. When I was a little boy in Kentucky, where I was uh, born and reared, uh, we lived on a farm. My earliest memories are of uh, my boyhood on a farm in the hills of southern Kentucky, almost in Tennessee, about four miles from the Tennessee line in the Cumberland Mountains. And my dad was a big old sharecropper. We just rented a farm. We didn't own a farm. And in that part of Kentucky, when fields are unused, they grow up in sagebrush. I don't mean sagebrush, broom sage. We don't have sagebrush in Kentucky, but broom sage. And this field that my dad had rented, a part of the farm, had not been tended the year before. And rather than plow under all this high sage, he called some of his farmer neighbors and said, on this Monday morning, if the weather permits, I want you to be at my house. My wife will fix breakfast, and we're going to burn off that field, and then I'm going to plow it under. I was about six years old. I remember them talking about burning the field, and I could just vision that big fire, and man, that's got to be a sight. So boy-like, I said, I'm going to get a ringside seat for this. So while they were eating and talking, just before they decided to burn the field, I ran out in the field, way out in this broom sage field. Found a little gully, and I uh, right out in the middle. I said, man, when, when they burn the field, I'll be right in the middle. I didn't see any danger at all. So after, after they ate their breakfast, they got ready, and the men said, Mr. Crabtree, we're ready. Let's burn the field. He said, all right, and then he did a double check. He said, where is my little boy? I have an older brother. He was there. I have uh, six sisters. They were there. He said, where is my little boy? Oh, I said, he's probably with his mother. Let's burn the field. Wait a minute. He said, wait a minute. I don't know where my little boy is. And knowing him, he may be out in the middle of that field. He guessed it right. <laughs> so he goes out in the field, calling my name. And uh, when he got near enough, I could hear his voice. I said, yeah, I am. Well, he picked me up. He was about 6'3 and weighed about 235. Picked me up and set me on his shoulders and carried me to the house and set me down in the safety of the yard. Turned to his friend and said, now we can burn the field. Well, you get the analogy. Our Heavenly Father is going to set this world on fire, but not while his son is here. Wait, he's telling the angels, hold it, hold it. Hold it. My son's down there. My children are down there. But once we are set down in heaven's front yard, he'll say to the angels, how about it? Burn the field. The church is safe. The children are safe. They're home in the yard. You can burn the field. Praise God. In these the closing days of time, what joy this glorious hope affords that soon 
wondrous truth sublime. He shall reign King of kings and Lord of lords. Will you stand and sing with me? Our Lord is coming soon. He's coming soon. And with joy we'll welcome his returning. Oh, it may be But we know he's coming soon. Now the signs around in earth and air are painted on the starlit sky. declare that the coming of